So yesterday we said that Joseph is, in Egypt, a slave, but a slave in a very honored position as truly the master running his master's house, this high officer of Pharaoh, of Paro. And to now we said, but you know what? Uh, the, the bear was set on him to incite, to cause him to have to go through more trials and travails in Egypt. So, verse 7 continues in chapter 39. It was after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. So we're looking here at this idea of after these things, meaning after Joseph is now in exalted position, and, you know, things are okay. I mean, obviously, he would rather be with the family. He's a slave. He's alone. He's 17 years old. On the other hand, of course, he's not a 17-year-old as we would envision one. Obviously, he has a maturation and spirituality and depth. But he's still all alone in Egypt. But his position, so to speak, isn't as bad as Jacob, who's right now mourning for the death of his son. So his master's wife starts noticing Joseph because he was very unbelievably beautiful. Not as we can understand it. And there's many midrashim that explain how, like, just like to show what she was going through, she would, uh, he gave this whole lineup of women like these lemons with these very sharp knives, like to cut the lemon to squeeze the juice. She put them all in their hands and she had them standing just when, like, Joseph would walk by. And they all, like, plunge the knives into their own hands. And she's like, look, you see what I have to go through every day? See what I have to deal with? Having to see him around the whole time? Oh, my gosh. And she was, she started doing anything she could to seduce him, you know, changing her outfits, you know, ten times a day, and doing anything she could. As the verse said, she says, lie with me. And he's like, no, <laughs> no. As the verse continues, but he refused. He said to his master's wife, my master does not know anything that is with me in the house, and all that he has he placed in my custody. Next verse, there's no one greater in this house than I, and he has denied me nothing but you since you are his wife. How then can I perpetuate this great evil I will sin against God? Which, as Rashi explains, that the non-Jews were commanded against sexual immorality. It's not only a, a Jewish concept. You, as a non-Jewish woman, need to know that obviously it's forbidden. What would, what would, what would you ask me to do something like that? That's immoral, not just for me as a Jew. It's immoral for you. The verse continues, and so it was. Just as she coaxed Joseph day after day, so he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. And why do we have this double expression, to lie beside her, to be with her? She said, lie beside me, even without sexual relationships. Just lie with me. And to be with her, he understood that meant if he did lie with her, he would, so to speak, be with her in the world to come. Because a Jewish man who has relationships with a non-Jewish woman loses his portion in the world to come. So he's not where he should be in the world to come. He'd be with her. And it was on that day that he entered the house to do his work, and not one of the men of the household was there in the house. Now, what's going on here? So Rashi explains this was a special day. It was a, a day of their idolatrous festival. So they all go to this temple to celebrate. So she said, oh, no better day to achieve my goal than today. Maybe because I know I've got a lot of time. We're all alone. 
And maybe also in her head, you know, there's all this power from this special idolatrous thing going on today. It's a very special day, special energy, so I can really get what I want. And so she said to everyone, oh, I don't feel good. I can't go to the temple, unfortunately. And here she had all this time to truly try to attack, seduce Joseph. Now, it says to do his work, and it's a dispute among our sages. Some say meant to do his work. I mean, he was the administrator, and he had to go to work. I mean, he wasn't going to the temple. And others say no. Like, he really, at this moment, was so under all of her persuasions again and again and again. He just thought he was going to end up giving in. But he was saved because he had this vision of his thought. It's a very special point here, saying when we're in a weak situation and we can hold on to those visions of the great godly people in our world, the people that we have a connection to, and just envisioning them very, very, very strongly pulls us up past the situation we're in and allows us to transcend what we feel under. So Joseph, who was, you know, if we look in a humanistic way, if we look at him in his ultimate level, I mean, obviously he wasn't tempted by this woman. But if we're looking at it with the human eyes and we say he was tempted at this point already, he was worn away, his defenses were worn away, but holding on to that vision of his father, he had the strength to overcome. So what happened? And she caught hold of him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and went outside. So he literally physically has run away from her. She's, she's grabbing him, and he's, he's running away, and she has his garment in her hand. But what happened? But this point, everything inside of her turned. As we see in other places in, in the scriptures, if you have, so to speak, a, a Intense attraction for someone holds because it's not it's not it's not love. <laughs> the whole thing can turn around to the intensity of the opposite direction, which means at this point she's so furious with Joseph. Look at that! Here she is. According to the midrash, she herself was a very beautiful woman. She's used to being very attractive to men, and obviously she did not have very high morals. And I assume this was not the first man that. She had an extramarital relationship with or attempted one. And she was used to being so attractive. And here's Joseph who literally runs away from her. She just wanted him. She wanted him killed. Look at this. This audacity. He's, I'm his mistress. And he's running away from me. And, and that's rejection. Who does he think he is? He, and all turned into enormous hatred. And she literally wanted him killed. So what did she do? Because again, Nobody knew this. It was just two of them in the house. And she could have just continued, but obviously God wanted it different. God is moving the plot forward, right? We had to move the plot forward and get Joseph into Egypt. Now we have to move the plot forward and get Joseph into prison to ultimately move the plot forward and get Joseph to become the advisor of Pharaoh to ultimately move the plot forward and get the entire Jewish nation in Egypt. So this moment moving from being the administrator of this household to being in prison seemed like a tremendous, tremendous down. But God never makes it down. It's part of the upward process. Because only through going to prison was he ultimately able, not just to stay as the slave administrator of this officer's house, but he became the prime minister of Egypt. 
So when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the men of her household and spoke to them, saying, Look, he brought us a Hebrew man to sport with us. He came to me to lie with me. Better call that was a loud voice. Like, he came to me, but I called. So he, he got scared and he ran away. So what does she mean, he brought upon us this Hebrew man? So he brought upon us means her husband. I mean, he was the one that fought him. This Hebrew man, he's from Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's Ivri. Ivri means Ever, from the other side of the Euphrates River. So that's Aver, the other side, and also Aver from the sons of Aver. So Rashi here is giving two explanations on the word Ivri, the Hebrew, Ivri. One is from Aver, the other side of the river, and one is from Aver, from the sons of Aver. Now this term then only applies to the descendants of Abraham because they are the only one who meets both qualifications. In other words, of all of Abraham's descendants, only Abraham crossed the Euphrates when he left to come to the land of Canaan, to what we would refer to as the land of Israel. And when he heard that, okay, um, I think we read this first, but when he heard that I raised my voice and called out, he left down beside me, fled, and went outside. She kept his garment beside her until his master would come to his house. Then she told him a similar account, saying, the Hebrew slave who we brought to us came to make sport of me. But it happened that when I raised my voice and called out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. So this is when his master, when Joseph's master came, and she said he came to make sport of me, this slave he brought. Now, Joseph's master's not stupid. <laughs> he probably knows his wife, and he probably knows the moral caliber of Joseph. But what do you do when your wife is saying this? So even though Joseph's master did not want to lose Joseph, and obviously if he had to go along with his wife's story. I mean, obviously, Joseph would get killed for trying to do this. And he didn't want to lose Joseph, but he, what's he exactly supposed to do? Say, oh, you're a liar, and I know you tried, and I know how much you want him? He couldn't exactly say that. But maybe he would have, because he really wouldn't have wanted to lose Joseph, who was this amazing administrator that brought such blessings to his household. So therefore, she did it at a very susceptible moment. She said these words during their own relationships. So he would be much more vulnerable and would therefore go along with her story, which he, of course, understood on some level wasn't true, but at this moment he wasn't thinking like that. So it was when his master heard his wife's words when she spoke to him saying, your slave did things like these to me. His anger flared up. So what does it mean your slave did things like these to me? Meaning he said it during relationships. So she's saying just like these types of things. This is what your slave wants to do. Oh, wow. So this, like, hit him deeply as versus if, you know, he was sitting in the kitchen and was told this when he'd be like, um, come on. Like, I, I, I don't believe that's exactly the story. So now what happens? So what happens actually at this point is that his master takes him to the court. You know, the the judicial court of Egypt to get tried as a, you know, someone that was trying to molest his wife. 
when the course analyzes the situation, what's her proof that she has his jacket? They're like, what's going on? He was trying to molest you. He got scared and ran. So you have his jacket? That's your proof? Like, if you have his jacket, you were grabbing him. He wasn't grabbing you. If he ripped your garment, you know, but you have his jacket, that's your proof that he was trying to molest you? Probably everyone understood what was going on here. But at the same time, they do. This is a noble woman. Her husband is an officer of the king, and she's claiming this, which is obviously patently not true, and it doesn't make any sense. But, of course, like many times in our history, when Jews are taken to court over things that obviously are not true, but, like, who cares? So what could they do? So what they decided to do was imprison him, meaning, really, if he had done this crime, well, we would kill him. Obviously, he didn't do this crime. But we can't say, oh, he didn't do this crime. That's, that's embarrassing. That's degrading to this noble woman. So we're going to say he did the crime, and we'll throw him in prison, and whatever, he'll just rot there. But at least I mean, we're not going to kill him because we know he didn't do this. So the verse says, And Joseph's master took him and placed him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, because, again, he had this you know, royal sentencing, so to speak, in this judicial system, and he remained there in the prison. Which again seems very bad, but again, it's part of God's plan to ultimately move him to become the viceroy of Egypt, and through this to ultimately bring the Jews down to Egypt. God was with Joseph, and he endowed him with appeal, and he put his favor in the eyes of the prison warden. As we see, this is always a story in Joseph's journey, whatever hard situations he's in, yet somehow he always has that extra grace that he finds in everyone's eyes. So Rashi says he was well received by everyone. This is the special gift God gave Joseph. The prison warden placed all the inmates that were in the prison in Joseph's custody and in everything that was done there, he would do. Again, very similar to what happened previously in the house of Pharaoh, in the, in the house of Potiphar. So he would do everything. It was all done by his word. Meaning, it doesn't mean that Joseph actually did all the work that was done in the prison because what we're trying to say here is that Joseph was in a favored position and if he had to suddenly take care of all these prisoners, that doesn't sound like a very great job. So it means that all the work was carried out under his orders. So just as he became the administrator of Potiphar's house, now he becomes the administrator, so to speak, in a sense, of this prison. The prison warden did not scrutinize anything that was in his custody because God was with him, and whatever he would do, God would make successful. Just as we saw in House of Potiphar, the exact same thing here in the prison, God was with him. And God being with him, of course, created this enormous success. 